Visit the Ford Fan Zone on Level 6 at the next Jazz game. There are free poppet shot games, cornhole, foosball tables. Enjoy incredible city and mountain views while relaxing, enjoying food and drink, taking in the game, and socializing with friends. Time now to talk jazz basketball with Michael Smith, jazz analyst on AT&T Sportsnet. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest to you. Michael, good morning. What's up, guys? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. The Jazz are up 21-12, and 12, winning games left and right, and they've got a bunch of teams with losing records right in front of them. Is it too much to expect yeah. now to just reel off a win streak? Because why give even one game back to those teams in front of you? you got second place is only two games away. Win, and uh, you'll be in pretty good shape in three weeks. Yeah, well said. Um, they've, really, they've really bounced out of that that little trip they took back east, which I think really hurt their confidence a little bit. They, they, you know, they, Milwaukee and Indiana, and I think they went to Memphis and won, but then they stayed out east and lost to Philly and Toronto. And at the time, those teams were all good at home, right? They're still good teams, but like Milwaukee, Toronto, and Philly, at the time, some of them were undefeated. One, maybe Milwaukee had lost one. So that was a daunting trip. And, they kind of came out of that, and I felt like, uh-oh, you know, it was kind of a slap in the face and maybe revealed who they weren't. And, of course, they came home and played the Lakers the very next game, which always feels like a road trip, and lost that game. But I didn't view that as too badly, right? Because the Lakers are like the one team I think they don't match up well against because of all that length, Davis and McGee, and, of course, the strength of LeBron. But they have responded beautifully. I think they've won eight out of nine, and as you say, maybe only Indiana in the next 11 opponents is has a winning record, and that game will be at home at Vivint. So, yeah, I mean, it's you can't say they're going to win all those games, but they got a shot to win nine of them. You know, there'll be some slippage, but wouldn't that be wonderful? And then, then they are looking at the three or two seed, and and they're right where we thought they might be. Okay, Mike, uh, everything you say is absolutely true. As I try to identify reasons, I'm going to give you three, and I want your response. One, Mitchell has elevated his game to an all-NBA level. Two, Joe Ingles as a starter has really flourished, and the team is better for it. And then Clarkson providing the punch that they needed off the bench. Those are my three reasons. All those things are, are correct. Clarkson's a small sample, right? Only three games, but... But 16 points a game, and, and what an astute move. Um, I've always said uh, fans in Utah will be able to relate to this. The best missionaries you know, were able to t- determine early on people they were teaching were progressing. The same is true like of a general manager, right? Like you, you, you have to understand which of your guys are going to become the guys you think they are. And so there's people who are sad that Dante Exum is traded, but you, you kind of have to move on from things that aren't working out the way you want, whether it was injuries that kept Dante from becoming who he was supposed to be, or whether he just wasn't ever as good as the fourth pick in the draft and, and never going to be something. But the earlier in those cases that you move on and say, okay, I made a mistake, but a lot of people would have gone for him. Uh, way back when, the Clippers drafted a kid named Michael Olawakandi, and they were, they were just, you know, 
cremated for drafting him, right? The number one pick. That's the same draft as Nowitzki and Paul Pierce. It was the year after Tim Duncan. But I guarantee you, 29 of the 30 GMs would have drafted this kid. He was 7'2". He was running a five-minute mile. He had a wingspan of 7'7". He played basketball for only four years. Everyone thought, oh, my gosh, this is the next Olajuwon. And he panned out to be none of that. But the sooner you make a move, the better. And so, yeah, the, the Exum injuries probably didn't allow the general managerial staff to make a move sooner, but I applaud them. I applaud them for saying, hey, let's go another direction. Our bench needs help. Let's bring in Clarkson. He will help them. He's a born scorer, and we all know the bench needed a boost. Joe Ingles, guys, uh, I think the last 10 games has averaged 17 points and five rebounds and five assists and shot 50% from three. Uh, whether that's related to the move to, to the starting lineup, I think it is because he felt more comfortable. What a brilliant move by Quinn. And maybe necessitated by the Conley injuries, but still we've now discovered something and Joe's become Joe again. And for whatever reason, Joe was not Joe at the beginning of the season. He was awful. He probably would tell you the same. But he's better than he was the last three years, at least in this sample of the last 12, 10 to 15 games. So when he's good, they're good. And finally, and not lastly, Donovan is, he's so much better than he was the last two years. And only in that span of six games that I mentioned earlier, when they went east, did Donovan kind of revert back to some of the moves and shots he was making in moments of crisis and tension in the last two years. He kind of returned to a floater. Maybe it was the size and length of a Milwaukee or Philly that, you know, I don't know, feeling like he had to do much of it himself. But his mid-range game, guys, is his bread and butter. His three ball has been incredible. He sh- I have him shooting over 50% from the field the last 13 games and scoring at a clip that's, you know, better than a year ago, but it's, it, it passes the eye test, too. He's better. He's more of a leader. That game recently against the Clippers, he was phenomenal. And I live here in L.A., so people in L.A. were like, oh, that was the hangover after the Laker Christmas win, and, <laughs> and our guys had the flu. Baloney. That was a statement game. The Jazz can beat them. And I think the Clippers are the favorite to win it all, just on paper, based on what they have. But the Jazz can match up with them, and they can beat them. And Donovan was terrific in that game. That little pump fake on Kawhi at baseline jam, that was an eye-opener. I think to the Clippers, to the league, to Donovan, to the Jazz. Donovan so humbly asked about it after the game by Kristen Kenny said, said, you know, I was just trying to make a play. I felt Kawhi near me. I pumped him. He, he wasn't even thinking dunk or tomahawk move. or you know, He was just like, I was going to go to the rim and get something good. That's a, that's a sign of, of good things happening. So all three of those things are are all favorable things going forward. I just want to add one caveat to that because I largely agree with what you just said about the Jazz. But when it comes to Jazz and Clippers, I do believe the Jazz can beat the Clippers, and I think that's different than beating them four times. I'll sign off on the first one, but I'm not signing off on the second one yet. Yeah, they're good. The Clippers are good, and it pains me to say it. I mean, that's a team I worked for for 20 years, and uh, they didn't hire me back you know, three years ago, so... Uh, which is why I find myself working for the Jazz. I love that. 
but I find myself just, you know, I, I can't root for them. <laughs> I, I just don't like who they are as an organization and just kind of mean, nasty people at the top. And but whatever, uh, I don't talk too much about that because it makes me sound bitter and angry and like I got a grudge, which I really don't. But I, I, uh, there's players they have I don't like. I don't like Patrick Beverly. I've never liked Kawhi, and I got no reason not to like Kawhi. That sounds terrible. I do like Paul George. Uh, I do like Zubats. I do like Lou Williams and and recognize his incredible skills, like to score the ball at his age. I mean, he's just an amazing scorer in our league. But, uh, yeah, you might be right, DJ. There, you got to beat him four times, and and you'd hope to have home court advantage on him, but you may not. And so, yeah, that. But I do feel like Clippers and Lakers are the two favorites in the West, but I feel like the Jazz can be – you know, a three or four seed, and then you got a shot, right? Then you got your great Utah crowd in a semifinal, conference semifinal, and at least three games in your building. And so I think it's it's all going to get exciting over the next three, four months. So when you speak of Clarkson with that short sample size, how legit do you think it is? Well, I think he was just mired in, in Cleveland in no man's land, right? It just post LeBron and and there's a team going nowhere and it just was such a great move to go get him because he's always been able to score and I I had him here early at Staples Center in his Laker days and from the get-go he's a second round pick who just had a scoring mindset he's athletic he's unafraid which you probably saw in his first game some of the shots he was taking in his first game in front of the Jazz crowd I was like whoa mm-hmm. he's not coming in tentative so I just, I just think it's a good move. I just, I, I think it holds up. I don't know that it holds up to the point of 16 points a game, but I feel like Quinn and and the staff's going to give him a chance to be great. And on that unit, he's he's going to be called upon, and he has those abilities. It, it just gives the Jazz greater versatility, and their second unit was really struggling, and so they've. They've morphed into, guys, right before our very eyes, and give Quinn Snyder credit, you know, an offensive juggernaut. That's who they've become. Last year, they're a defensive stalwart, right, with Rudy anchoring, but defensive-minded players, Crowder and Favors and Rubio, who are now gone. What they lacked offensively, they provided defensively. That's why the Jazz were number one ranked team defensively all year. And they were again this year early. But, man, they went through a stretch where they couldn't stop anybody. I think six of eight opponents scored 120 on them, and you were like, what's going on? But Quinn has adjusted, and Quinn said, okay, maybe that's not who we are personnel-wise. Maybe we're an offensive-minded team that can now shoot the ball. They've addressed their shooting woes, and they just light it up from three. And it's not fluky. Their three ball is not fluky. Joe worried me. But Joe has come back to his 40% career numbers, even better of late. But Bogey has been better than advertised. Or at least I didn't know he was that good. And I used to only see him twice a year, right? East Coast, West Coast. I was always covering the West Coast, so I'd see him a couple times. I thought, huh, this guy's pretty good. He's really good. Like, his shot is downright consistent, he shoots it effortlessly, so on nights when you're tired or you don't have great legs, his shot is ill-affected by you know the normal fatigue of the season. 
And he's better going to the basket than I ever realized. He's long. He's clever. Uh, I just, I got to applaud how they've morphed into what their personnel has asked them to be. Michael Smith, jazz analyst on AT&T Sportsnet, join us now. Uh, so with Clarkson, does the league catch up to him? I mean, it's it was impressive, like you said, that he came out and so fearless. But you got to say that the opposing teams, these first three games, haven't really known how the Jazz are going to use him. So do you expect you expect other teams to handle him a little better? Or these 19, 20-point games he's put up the last two games, and that's kind of ballpark to what he's going to do. He, he, you got to realize if, if he's going to get the majority of his minutes against second units, there's a reason guys are on the second unit, right? They're not. They're not starting five caliber. They're not all stars. So, I like his talent and his you know his physical tools against second units. I think it holds up. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying he's Lou Williams and going to score 19 a game. He, he's not that type of shooter. But you, you you usually are what you are, and by this stage for sure. So, given new life and new opportunity, yeah, there's going to be a little euphoria initially and adrenaline pumping. But I think he's a, I think he's a 13 to 15 point a game guy for you off the bench, which is what you needed. I realize it's 16 point something through three games, but um, yeah, I think he is he is what he is. So with that in mind, you know, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. What do they do? What do they do when Conley comes back, Mike? Uh, well, I think it's a blessing. It, it's kind of a nice problem to have if you're Quinn, right? You got Joe playing great in this new starting lineup. Now, this is my own opinion. I don't speak for the team, but what if you what if you had Conley without being a sub? Right, you got to start him. He's a twelve year starter in this league. You got to start him. So you can't demote him to the bench. But what you can do is alter the substitution pattern so that he kind of leads your bench. Right, you can still start him and bring him the first one out. Not unlike. You know what a Sloan did to Stockton. Sloan was so predictable in his and programmable in his substitution patterns. Probably why Stockton and Malone played for so long. You know, probably just got used to what they were. But I mean, you could start Conley and then rotate it such that he came back in with the second unit for the tail part of the first quarter, maybe the beginning part of the second quarter. I, I, I think it's a blessing. I think Mike is still trying to figure it out. You know, again, small sample. Mike was awful to start. He knows that. We all know that. He couldn't make a shot the first whatever games it was. Then then there's a 10-game run before his injury where he's Mike Conley, right? He's 17, 18 points a game. He's 38% from three. He really was who he always has been, and you kind of took a big you know, breath of relief and said, okay, this, this is who we – got and traded for this is who we know he'll be and of course the injuries have not allowed us to see how that all progresses so i'm surprised the hamstring has lasted as long as it has but i think the re-aggravation has made them more cautious and plus they're winning so there's no hurry to bring him back but i you want him you need him there's probably a clever way to use him and keep things going the way it is and so I don't know. I, I would keep Ingles in the starting lineup. I would keep Conley when he's back and healthy in the starting lineup. 
you know, with Mitchell, with Gobert, with Bogey. Look at that lineup. That's almost a little death lineup with the shooting. Compare that lineup to last year's starting lineup in terms of the shooting. You got shooters other than Gobert everywhere on the floor and scorers. Uh, and then you can substitute freely, and maybe Mike's the first one out. Maybe he's the first one back in with a Clarkson and with a Royce O'Neal, and, you know, one by one you bring them back. I think they're better. But, yeah, Mike's been a little bit of a uh, an enigma so far, but he's so full of character. I think in the long run he proves truly who he is. You think with the Joe Ingles turnaround, I'm I'm kind of of the opinion that it's a little bit about Joe, but it's a lot about who he's out on the court with. And certainly as he plays better, he gets more confidence. So part of it is on him. But early on when he's out there with the bench unit and you got some non-scorers on the floor and they're really struggling, I think the defenses could totally focus on him. And he's such a good passer. He needs to be out there with other scorers. That's part of who he is. And if you take that away and just say, hey, Joe, go one on five and score, good luck. I mean, you could put LeBron out there with any four bench guys and he'll still be LeBron. But most guys can't do that. And I think when Joe's on the floor with better players, he becomes a much better player. It's a multiplier effect. Do you, do you buy into that? Yes, absolutely. So well said, DJ. He's he's a little bit like a Draymond Green, right? You put Draymond Green out there with Clay and Steph and KD, and you're like, oh crap, <laughs> he's an all star too. Well, Draymond Green with with non all stars around him is not an all star, and Joe's like that. So yes, it is every bit in my mind uh, a result of who he was surrounded by, for sure. If Joe Ingles is your fourth best player on the floor, you've got a really good unit on the team, I mean, on the floor. That, that's going to be a tough unit to stop because he's so smart, he's clever, he can shoot, he can pass. You know, he's, he's a ball mover, he's a floor spacer. But all of a sudden, if Joe is being asked to be your second best player on the floor or your first, he's not that. He's limited physically. He's not fast. He's not... He's a, he's a little bit lengthy, but he doesn't play long, right? And he, he's guardable. And certainly if he's focused upon, he's guardable even more so. So you are spot on. And I really believe the Jazz noticed that and noticed how good he can be when he's surrounded by the other greats. And so, I mean, think about it. The Jazz are still doing this all, all this without an all-star. I think Donovan makes his first all-star selection this year. And I don't think the Jazz get two All-Stars. But Bogey's certainly worthy of a look, and so's Gobert. But I think Donovan makes his, his first All-Star selection this year. And But you're spot on, DJ. You, you, you surround Joe with great players. His skills shine. And the opposite or the corollary is also true. You surround him with guys who aren't able, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, he gets a little exposed. Michael, we appreciate a few minutes as always. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you again down the road. I'm fired up, guys. I'm not there this week, but I am there next week, New York and Charlotte. I think it's like Wednesday, Friday, when the Jazz get back from this little three-game trip. So I'll see you guys there at the arena and try and make sure it doesn't snow too much on me. But uh, I'm fired up. I think the Jazz are, are looking good. 
He's Michael Smith, Utah Jazz Analyst on AT&T Sportsnet. DJ and PK, everything you missed in today's show. A lot of Utah football, a lot of jazz basketball, and a uh, couple of the notes from the Pac-12. And we will get to those next. Stay with us. Big Show. Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Are you ready? You guys ready? Jordan Clarkson is with us. What was your initial reaction when you heard the news that you'd been traded to Utah? So I was looking forward to the next chapter on what's coming. Definitely was excited and uh, you know glad to hear that I was coming to you know this organization and you know I've heard great things. I'm very cool with George Hill, Ronnie Hood, and guys like that that came here, especially Kyle Corver. He said a lot of good things about the organization. So just from what those guys have said about it, I was ready to come here and you know happy to just join this organization and uh, try to help them uh, with their goals. Catch the Big Show, presented by Mountain America Credit Union. Afternoons from 3 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Sam with the snap, blitz coming, Elliger hit as he throws for the end zone, looking for Duvernay, and a flag comes in. Devin caught it anyway. Touchdown, Texas. How do you like that? Interfered, grabbed, held, and Duvernay makes the catch for the Texas touchdown. Here's Keontae with running room, 45-40. Keontae has stiff arms still on his feet, 35-30. Keontae, say goodnight to this one. Ingram finishes the job. One play, 49 big ones to the house, and that should do it. There are the highlights from the Alamo Bowl as Texas blows the game open in the second half and wins 38-10. Time to catch you up on all the stuff we've been talking about this morning. And, of course, it is brought to you by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. So, PK, I think uh, end of the day, 11-3 is still a good season, but people at 11-1 were hoping for historic or magical, special and it wasn't those things. It was good. 11 wins. You never throw back 11 wins. That's the most wins the Utes have had in the Pac-12 era. But when you're hoping for a Pac-12 title and a trip to the Rose Bowl, watching Oregon jump around and celebrate after their 28-27 win over Wisconsin, that's what Ute fans wanted. And instead, they were walking off with their heads down and with the PR people at Utah saying, you can't talk to anybody on the field. We could talk to people on the field after the wins. That was a painful loss. They didn't, they didn't want anybody popping off. Did you get busted again? No, no, there was no getting busted. It was, uh, it was preemptory. The game was still going on. He got told multiple times, nah, nothing on the field. He got some <laughs> shots of, you know, the Texas Tramper getting greeted by Texas guys. Don't talk to him. They ran over and then they told Matt. They, they told Matt, Coma, who was their uh, producer editor, you know him, he's behind the scenes, so a lot of people don't. But they told Matt, and then he came over and told me, and then he went over and told Matt again. So, that is an ongoing battle with television yeah, because yeah. they want the live Emotion. reaction yeah. shots. Yeah, and I always laugh at that because the sports information people are running around. No. <laughs> you should have seen it on in uh, Santa Clara. Uh, the guy was like just running. It was uh, okay. I put out a fire here. Ooh, there's two more. I got to run over there. <laughs> I got to exactly. run over there. I got to run over there because they always want the on the field one thing. I don't have to get into that, so I never because it's not actually good sound for radio because it's no. usually noisy and whatnot. But yeah. yeah, I always I always enjoy that. And so you're right about the 11 and one, which is why I'm telling you, listen to what I'm saying. You should lose every year to ASU because if you were nine and three and finished 11 and three, we'd feel a whole lot better about it. 
Oh, we've seen that multiple times now. Those last couple of games, it's a little different for the Utes now because the Utah-Colorado thing, uh, it's not a rivalry, even though it gets played on rivalry weekend, maybe one day, but certainly a decade in, there's nothing. <laughs> there's just nothing there. But we saw it before that when they were finished with, with Utah and BYU. That first year, I was thinking about this, Kyle, the first year, they were 5-5, five and five, and the quarterback gets hurt, and they got to play the backup has never played. If they lose their five and six, and they don't go bowling the year after the Fiesta Bowl, but they win in overtime, and they beat Georgia Tech in seven to five. And it's like, man, you were ten games in, but the last two really set the tone for the offseason and kind of put the exclamation point on the season. And these last two years, it's worked in reverse. You know, the hopes have been so high, and then there's this, been this big low. The last two games matter a lot. And, and actually, the BYU season says the same thing this year. If BYU had won those last two games, they were 9-4. and four, feel really different than 7-6. and six. The last two still matter. With all that football already done, the last two still matter a lot. Yeah. So, that's what I'm saying. Every time you play the Sun Devils in a regular season, Nobody's lose, off on that. Don't you'll sell that. feel better about yourselves at the end of the season. Nobody's buying that. Just quiet down. <laughs> Nobody is literally. I am. <laughs> you're going to talk yourself into it. Hey, Kyle, I got a plan. And Kyle just looks at you. That's a dumb plan, PK. Right, no, you lose a couple of games no, early, no. and then you finish strong. No, Come no, no, on. No, 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 no. We'd feel a lot better this morning. So the the thing about the youths beating up on teams that were 4-7, to seven, and with the Bulls now, in some cases, now they've beaten eight-win teams, right? Because Cal gets to eight wins with their win. ASU gets to eight wins with their win. Washington. USC stuck on eight. Washington got to eight with their win. They largely beat the teams they were supposed to and lost to three teams. And you could argue maybe Washington has better talent than USC. But they lost to Oregon and Texas. They clearly look physically outmatched at the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. It's what Kyle always says. Recruiting is 90% of the deal. I don't think this is so much about schemes. It's about getting better players. Sure. More better players. And I think that's usually the case. I don't know that I can make the same. Well, you always want more better players, but can you coach them up and get more wins? I don't know that the Utes could coach them up and get anything that would beat Oregon. Oregon was better. They got better players. I don't know that they could re-scheme that somehow and get that done. Well, Maybe you could argue fun, with yeah. at Texas, you could say, well, those three guys were in the secondary. You know, Jalen Johnson matching up with somebody would have mattered a lot. Uh, so maybe you can go there. But I think yeah. largely they have to go get guys who are bigger, stronger, faster. And especially the O-line's got to get better. Maybe that's the one place you can be coached up because they seem to handle some of those blitzes in the middle of the year, but they didn't early in the year, and it was a huge problem in the Alamo Bowl. They, they got sure. blitzed into oblivion. All right, I use the letters BYU and Lisa calls. It's some kind of Pavlovian response. So before we get to the Jazz and get you up to speed on all the stuff we've been talking about there, Lisa, good morning. Good morning. Hey, I just needed to call in really quick. I thoroughly enjoyed watching the rental car bowl. Um, I was on Twitter and I had you fans tied up in knots all night long. It was hilarious. But I keep I keep trying to get across to them. You know, you fan, there are no comparisons between our programs anymore. Okay, you have P5 money, P5 recruits, P5 schedule. BYU cannot compete with you anymore. So let it go. I don't know why they hang on so tight. Like, you know, in the, at the beginning, they're going, well, how was your bowl game? And by the end, I was able to say, well, how was your bowl game? 
<laughs> you know, anyway. And then apparently they think that I'm Marty Haas, the former BYU basketball player's wife. And I am Marty Haas' wife, but not that Marty Haas. So oh, I need to freaky. remember they someone thought I was Lisa Wilson when I was on the radio. And then and it was funny because someone said, well, you don't have the class that your husband has. And I wrote back. My husband doesn't have any class. He's a Raider fan. And then it dawned on me what they were saying. That they were, you know, so anyway, so poor Marty Haas in Utah County. No, I am not married to that man. I am married to a guy that can handle all of this. And he does just fine. Oh, man. <laughs> the car rental bowl. See, I think it's more about the Alamo, the history of the Alamo, as opposed to the car rental agency. I'll let her oh, have, I know, but let her have okay. her fun. <laughs> Please. Uh, I know that. Oh. What is more degrading? Right. I, I get where you're going with that. The car bowl. And I, I, I actually posted a tweet. I said, I was going to troll you tonight, but it is so pathetic about where they are. You know, they were in possibly in the championship, then the Rose Bowl, and now they're in the rental car bowl. And I, and I was really going to just shut up there. But, I mean, they came at me, and, at me, and I'm, I'm literally going, oh, and my favorite was one you fan quoted 1 Corinthians uh, 14.34. I don't expect you guys to know, but I knew, and it's uh, women be silent. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I remember hey, that one. female Ute fans. Female Ute fans, you must be so proud. And I always get the, go fix dinner for your husband. And I'm like, Marty's you can't handle eat. a woman with a strong opinion. No, no, they can't <laughs> handle a strong woman with a strong opinion who knows what the heck she's talking about. Lisa? So, and I do know, yes. Do you realize when you what? call it the car rental bowl, it hurts? Yeah. See what I did there? You see what I did there? Oh, it, wow. It, it hurts. You see what I did there, Lisa? That's a good series of puns. That could go yeah. national. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I didn't get that until now. Oh, my gosh. I'm full on the uptake this morning. But no, so I, you know, the you, they make you laugh. They keep calling you irrelevant. They keep calling BYU irrelevant. And we're the little brother, but yet they all responded to my tweets. I, I, I would make a tweet. I would have 30 notifications within a second. <laughs> well, you are a troll. Congratulations. Man, I'm telling you. I you know. I lo- oh, I enjoyed it. I, I, I said to one guy, I said, I'm living the dream tonight, baby. <laughs> I'm sitting in my 1984 championship sweatshirt trolling the youth. <laughs> Couldn't be better. Uh, Lisa and Marty. Well, Lisa, we'll see you at uh, your son's senior day next month when you walk out with TJ down at the Marriott Center. Yes. When that, oh, you know what? I bet they're so happy that's not really the case. <laughs> I mean, he, now I have to say that my son met Hans, and Hans said, So what's it like to have been brought up by her? <laughs> Ooh, that's rough. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, actually, he's he's pretty good on Twitter himself. So, you know what can I say? All right, Lisa. All right, but, hey, thanks for stirring the pot. Year. Thanks for stirring Same the pot. Oh, Sister Oz. Enjoy. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right, catching you up to speed on all the stuff we've been talking about today. The Utah Jazz. This is such a stretch of games. You've already pronounced three and zero without the lucky sweatshirt, PK. It's a very oh, friendly yeah. schedule right here. They don't go 3-0, and I'm going to be in mourning, and I'm not going to work the rest of January. 
Chicago, Orlando, and New Orleans. Three teams on the road, three teams with losing records. None of the games back-to-back. The Jazz are two games out of second place, and they don't have to play a team with a winning record. Depending on what Brooklyn does, because Brooklyn's been bouncing right around at 500. Uh, Maybe they'll get themselves over 500. But uh, the next really good team they have to play is Indiana, who has owned them recently, and that's a home game on the 20th. But between now and January 20th, there are a bunch of victories to be had. The mid point of the season is coming up, PK, and I thought if they got to 24 wins, they'd be in pretty good shape, but they're sitting at 21 and 12 right now, so uh, 26, 27, 28, we'll see where they end up here at the midway point. Uh, I think they have an opportunity to be in a really good spot at the midway point. We still got a few couple weeks to go, but when we get there, I see no reason why it's not looking good. All right, other things we have uh, spoken about uh, today. Utah State basketball played last night. Uh, They were in Vegas, two for 19 from three. Couldn't buy a bucket early, and it looked like when three or four of those rattled out early, they tensed up, the lead went to 10, and they just, they never got their mojo going. That didn't even look like the same team. And Vegas isn't Uh, that good. I would agree. Vegas isn't that Uh, good. Six and eight. They're not that good. No, they're not that good. That's what they came into. But I go back to the conference games, conference road games. I mean, I've seen it a million times. That was my bread and butter at the Watchdog for so many years. Conference road games, they're hard. They're harder than what you would think on paper against a team that doesn't appear to be that good. And the Aggies couldn't make buckets. They were without the big guy. I don't know what his status is here, but obviously he's been in and out of the lineup all season. It hasn't been good. And they need more. If he's not going to be there, you know, they need to shoot much better from three. There's just no doubt about it. And it's not devastating. But you know, they did lose, and now they got San Diego State, who's uh, I think there's two undefeated teams left, them and Auburn. Yep, Aztecs are 14 and zip, so they're climbing up the rankings rapidly. And that game is Saturday in Logan, but I wouldn't rule out a bounce back for all the reasons you said. San Diego State's not going to go undefeated forever. Somebody's going to get them. It figures to be a uh, a road team. It figures to be better one of the better teams. San Diego State's had their struggles at elevation, whether it's Air Force, CSU, Wyoming, Utah State. Uh, it wouldn't be surprising if uh, if they get picked off somewhere. Why not Saturday night? They, and there you are, downgrading a team you root for again. Boy, yes, I'm shocked. You <laughs> are. You should be. I was waiting for that, PK. I'm like, here we go. However, however, I also know the schedule. If they get this one, if they get this one, hello, 20-0. and 0. Hello, Final Four. I didn't say that. I did. Okay. Mountain West to the Final Four. When was the last time? I think we all Obviously, know. I think we all. Well, it was the whack, but we get your point, right? All right, DJ and PK, anything else you want to talk about that we have spoken about here? Tonga Vailoa is going to announce his NFL draft decision on uh, Monday the 6th. I assume he's going, but we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. I don't care either, for that matter. When we come back, everything you've had to say about tonight's show and what? Lisa's already in tweets? That's shocking. I'm stunned by that development. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Here's the thing. If you're going to say that the Utes weren't all the way in it because they were disappointed about the bowl game, not getting to the playoff, not winning the Pac-12 championship, whatever, then you have to say the same thing about Alabama all those years ago, and they were probably disappointed not getting to the championship. It's going to be fun when BYU goes 4-8 and eight next year and Cougar fan calls for Kalani Sataki's head again. All right, time for your feedback, everything you think about today's show. 
And it is brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $3.59 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or AudiSaltLakeCity.com. You know, I did see some of that on social media. The Utes didn't want to be there. Uh, we were both there, PK, and I think it was pretty clear the Utes did want to be there. It did matter to them. There were a bunch of seniors who chose to play in that game, and they know they could have skipped it if it didn't matter to them. So I'm not buying that. They, they couldn't block Texas. That was the single biggest problem in the game. Okay, yeah. I mean, whether you wanted to be there or not, I mean, I can't go into your heart. But the fact is, you were there. And if you didn't want to be there, particularly those seniors, all you had to do was say no, and no one was going to give you crap. Your scholarship was already taken care of. So you chose to go. So I don't buy it either. All right, we're getting a lot of uh, tweets here. Uh, Greg, tell Lisa we're looking forward to seeing her and Zach Wilson's mom on The Real Housewives of Utah. That is who they would need. That would make for a lively show. I'm not going to watch that. <laughs> we'll be watching games, but we'll hear about it nonetheless. Especially if there's Utes and Cougars uh, wearing logo gear and behaving bizarrely. We'll definitely hear about it. True. Greg, missionary analogy, saying Mike Conley is a blessing. Another great fireside with Elder Smith. Comes to you know, I did Greg. catch that. And, <laughs> and I know uh, you perked up when he said that because I could tell it brought back some great memories for you. Yeah. <laughs> Actually got a, a text from a former producer who enjoyed it greatly. Uh, Clint, uh, LOL, Smith is making a classic blunder, underestimating Joe Ingles. He's proved doubters wrong time and again. I don't know if Michael was underestimating him as much as he was just talking about how he played poorly early on and is playing well now, which I, I really think it's a little bit on Joe, but it, it's – it has a lot to do with the guys around him. Joe's much better out there with better players. Well, the thing that I would say is Joe Ingles is a high-end system guy. Yeah. That's another way of saying the same thing. I agree with you. And it's tough. Part of the system is his ability to pass. When he's out there with guys who can't shoot and can't score, uh, it makes it much easier to defend him. Yeah, they don't fear the other guys. Right. Uh... <laughs> Is Jordan Clarkson going to keep this up? Nine points in his first game. And I rarely go to games as a fan. I'm usually there sitting in the media section at the top of the lower bowl. But I went to that game as a fan and surrounded by fans. I got to tell you, the energy, Clarkson got this huge ovation when he checked in. It was very obvious and noticeable. He started attacking right away. Quinn Snyder had said in the pregame, we're going to throw him into the fire. And he came out aggressive. Fearless, and even though he was four for twelve, no one minded the shot selection. It was so positive with him. And now the last two games, nineteen and twenty points. I mean, what's not to love? So is he going to keep this up? And Jeremy tweets in. Short answer: Yes. Well, if that's true, that is a massive positive for the Jazz. I can't believe he's going to actually average nineteen or twenty points a game. That's a lot of points to average coming off the bench. Well, I was going to say fourteen to eighteen. Yeah, Michael Smith was on the low end of that, thirteen to fourteen. He, he's aggressive. He gets his shots. He gets his looks. So, uh, well, I, 14. Boy, I would sign off on 17 a game right now. I would, too, because when you look at this in that second unit where he's placed, who else is going to do it? So the opportunities are going to be there for him. It's just a matter of is he shooting the ball well? Is he taking the right shots? Now, we'll have to see a little bit when Conley comes back what things change. But until then – 
Clarkson, when he's out there a lot of the time, should be not necessarily the featured guy because it's not like they have five bench guys and five starters all the time. They're mixing and matching to a good degree so he can be out there with some of the starters who deserve their opportunities too. But I still think that he's going to get plenty of opportunity. So I see a way that this is going to be fairly consistent. He's not a star, so I wouldn't bank on it every game. But I see no reason why it's not more consistent and he provides that punch, say, eight out of ten games. You know, one big thing with bench guys is uh, there's a big fluctuation in how much they play, and it does seem like his minutes should stay on the high side of what bench guys get now and when Mike Conley comes back. I I think right now guys eight and nine in the rotation, uh, eight, nine, ten, are – Moutier and Niang, and then whatever they do with the backup minutes, and it seems like, you know, center. Yeah, with the backup center minutes, seems like that's still a little bit of a battle there and going a different way. We'll see if they keep that up or if they go back to Ed. I don't know how that's going to shake out. Um, But it seems like there's seven guys who are going to play at least 25 minutes a night. And many of those seven are going to play more than that. But I'd be surprised if Clarkson drops below 25 minutes. And obviously, the more time you get, the more shots you're going to get and the more you're going to score. But it does seem like he's locked in. The last train is going to play. Take that last train to Clarkson. And there it is, a nickname to work on in 2020. DJ and PK, we are out of time. Tony and Austin are coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow.